once the voices of dissent become more than the original voice, like that's how you know, oh, people are catching on and change will come. Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Exvangelical Podcast, where being labeled a heretic is a good thing, if it means refusing to conform to toxic, harmful expressions of faith. We address your questions about God, politics, how we got here, and how to move forward. Nothing is off limits in our conversations with scholars, spiritual seekers, and activists in our quest to uncover the heart of faith. We're your hosts, Melanie and Gary Ellen, and this is Holy Heretics. Our guest today is someone you might know if you spend a lot of time on Instagram or Twitter. Her name is Christina Hartunian, but you may know her better as the DTR blog. And she has definitely been ruffling some feathers lately. She is a spirited and faith-informed writer, speaker, comic, host, and popular online persona. And she is an Iranian-American woman who is unafraid to break barriers and raise tough questions related to topics like trauma, emotional suffering, and the world's longest season of singleness. She holds a degree in global studies, a certification in biblical studies, and is pursuing a master's in social work. She also has an internationally and spiritually informed perspective that is fully attuned to the inner thoughts and struggles of her fellow millennials. Serving as a women's treatment counselor, Christina longs to see others flourish in true mental, emotional, and spiritual freedom. She's also currently single, if you know anybody. (laughs) Welcome, Christina. We're thrilled to have you here today. That was so fun. That was the first time I've heard that read aloud. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, Christina, Melanie's told me a lot about you. And obviously, uh, just doing my research, you have a pretty huge following on social media. um, And it's pretty easy for, I think, a lot of us to just think we know everything about someone uh, based on what they post or based on what they're uh, sharing on social. But can you just start this conversation by telling us a little bit about your background and how that led you to starting the DTR blog? Sure. Um, So it was never really planned, but I think one of the funny things is I posted my bio recently, and most of the comments were about how people had no idea I was Iranian-American. So I think that's a huge piece that I'm trying to incorporate now because for whatever reason, I think i subconsciously hid that from Mm -hmm. maybe my posts or, um, I don't know, we're figuring that out in therapy, but, (laughs) (laughs) um, yeah. So my mom, she, um, she has passed away, but she was Muslim. Both of my parents are Iranian immigrants and they came to the U S and my mom was Muslim and she had like this radical conversion to Christianity through televangelist Benny Hinn when I was like, seven or eight years old. So we went to, um, a, a very charismatic church and my dad is a scientist. So he is now a Buddhist, but at the time he became atheist through her conversion process. So it oh, was wow. a very, um, yeah, uh, intric- like, um, just a lot going on with my upbringing. And so I was always a Christian and then I went to UC Santa Barbara for college and that's where I, um, you know, I just been very good and obedient my whole life. And so in college I was not. (laughs) And then after that, I went into YWAM missions. So YWAM uh, stands for youth with a mission. And I went to England and I studied the Bible and I did the whole shebang. And then I came back. And my mom got sick uh, with brain cancer Mm -hmm. and she refused to do chemo and radiation because she believed uh, in divine healing, which I believe in. But at the time, I think her perception was skewed. Um, Mm -hmm. And so she passed away five months later. And after that, I really went through processing everything. And there was so much to unpack. I'm still doing that now. But um, yeah, that led me to start my deconstruction process, I I guess you could say. And then I just felt so isolated and alone. 
I had to move. I had a nervous breakdown. I had to move in with my dad. I had to quit my job. I had so much anxiety and depression. But um, I, I would write online. And then I found that I had these underlying um, hints of humor, the way that I would write. And so I explored that more. And then that's where uh, I guess you could say memes or jokes came into play. And that's how the following started. So I never planned it. It was a source of like healing for me. And from there, things grew. So that's yeah. awesome. Well, and mm-hmm. so DTR stands for define the relationship. So yes. you were focusing on your Christian dating scene or what exactly was the well, focus there? It was actually funny because I started it talking about very serious things. So it was like helping people. Now it's so cliche and I'm like, should I change it? But I'm not. <laughs> we just got the <laughs> trademark four years later. I'm not changing it. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, I, I did a plan words like DTR define helping people define their relationship with God themselves and others through stories of faith, dating, mental health, and comedy. But I think through the process, I didn't realize that a lot of the healing that I had to do was in regards to dating in church, because that was the most, the easiest thing for me to write a joke about, or for me Mm -hmm. to write a meme about or whatever. And so I, I kind of, by accidentally became known as like the, the like Christian dating memer who's a girl you know (laughs) Uh, who's who's iranian yeah but no one knew that and so then i had this pivot over the course of the last i would say year and a half and it's funny someone was like congratulations you finally crossed over from the basic christian dating blogger to like you know someone who has deconstructed and Hmm. and really asking these big questions so i was Hmm. like thank you so much for noticing (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think people really resonated, though, with your humor and the things that you were calling out, but doing it in a, I guess I would say a gentler way and or a less direct way. You weren't like, this thing is terrible. You were making jokes about it and getting people to think about it. And they really resonated with that. So what were some of those big things that you really wanted to draw attention to? about mm-hmm. Christianity or relationships or how mm-hmm. the church handles relationships, all those things. So when I was in YWAM, I almost got engaged to a guy that I had been dating like four months on my DTS and which is discipleship training school where you're like three months somewhere. And then you go three months to another country as the white savior. So, <laughs> <laughs> which now I would say, but at the time I was like, I am the world's gift. <laughs> um, I was dating a guy and he wanted, he thought that we should be thinking about marriage. So I, uh, I had been out of the church scene for a while because I had gone to UCSB, which is not a Christian school. And um, so I was like, oh, this is, this is normal, you know? And then he like he said that he needed God to tell him by a certain date, like to confirm that I should be his wife. So huh. then we, we didn't hang out for two weeks or what, like a week or two weeks because he was praying and I was praying for like God to bring a sign that we're meant to be together. And of course that sign didn't come and I was devastated and we broke up. And um, so so when I started to really contemplate and deconstruct how I have been dating in church, uh, the more I would observe things, like I've always been an observer, I would see just how unhealthy the dynamics that are taught of what male and female interpersonal relationship should look like. And I was like, this is actually, we were, we were almost trained to like be incredibly unhealthy. Mm. Um, like the woman is this object that a man cannot stay in a room with without him being some, um, you know, uncontrollable beast. Like yeah. I just like, for instance, with the Billy Graham rule, um, which is my perception of that. And, and I understand maybe why certain things, certain things were thought to, to be the way, 
Um, and when we were younger, just everything being men and women in different rooms, discussing things all the time, like, you know, we had no way of knowing, like, as a man, can you explain to me, like, what, what your life experience like in this area? Like, what is hard for you? Like, it's super helpful for someone else as a, for a woman to understand that, you know, rather than to just separate and be like, um, you know, you guys cannot be together in any way, shape or form, unless you're getting engaged or you're getting married or whatever. And then you get married and now all of a sudden you're, you can be alone all the time and it's not awkward at all. Right. Or like, I can't (laughs) tell you how many couples I know they got married and then I get messages. Like I, I know what to say now. And they're like, the sex was really, I just, I was like, was it awful? That's fine. That's normal. Like, (laughs) you know, it, it, because there's no, they need like Christian sex ed. I don't know. I was like, there is some issues here. So the more I would talk about it, the more I'd unpack and the more jokes and it would just kind of (laughs) escalate. But people very much resonated. And now obviously we're seeing a huge, um, you know, a lot of people talk about purity culture and we're like, oh yeah, that's what we were raised in or Mm. yeah. Mm. You know, it's interesting that, um, it seems a lot of us have different entry points to the deconstruction process. Um, and it sounds like yours was around relationships, dating, singleness, sexuality, et cetera. Um, if my assumption is correct, and that was kind of your entryway, uh, what did it lead to? What other areas of faith or spirituality did you begin to mm-hmm. deconstruct after that? And then how did those uh, changes in beliefs or perceptions shape and change your life in general? Yeah. Um, I think mental health was a huge piece. Um, my mom thought that depression was a sin, even when she was sick, um, with cancer people, a lot of her church peers prayed for her to repent of sin. Mm Um, and so I, knew that I wasn't healthy. I got a therapist, but I got a therapist outside of the church, which I think for me was the best thing I've ever done because Mm -hmm. there was no bias. Like any good therapist, they support your core values and your beliefs and your faith. They want that. They believe in, um, you know, the power of somebody being able to release something to a, a quote unquote higher power, but they're, in my family for, um, one of the reasons my dad, he, he like rejected all things church was because they tried to force them. My parents who were divorced most, most of my life to go to couples therapy in a church. And he just felt like he was not treated the same, which now looking back, I'm like, for sure you weren't, <laughs> you mm. know, they're obviously gonna, um, have these certain beliefs, which is not to say all Christian counseling or biblical counseling, whatever is wrong. It's just, um, for me personally, I went to a therapist and from there I realized how helpful cognitive behavior therapy was, um, dialectical behavior therapy. And I was like, why don't other people in church have access or talk about these amazing tools? And, um, I explored that more and I found people who did and who had been, and it opened up a different world for me. And then obviously now I'm, I work in that field and I go to school to better learn that. But I think I deconstructed the whole mental health aspect of you have to be happy all the time or Christians Mm. are the happiest people in the world. And I was like, you know, that's not really my experience. What I found (laughs) is everything I was taught is black and you have to be black and white. And in therapy, it's like the biggest thing you are trying to stay away from is black and white thinking. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I've never heard of this stuff before. So from there, then I would listen to more of my peers and I would listen to my black friends and, and realize that they have experienced so much, um, you know, uh, just, just so much that I haven't. And, and then how that led to, oh, well, the way that they've been treated in church, just everything. Mm. <laughs> and uh, and so I, I got to a place where I was like, I feel more passionately about speaking out about this, these different things now more so even than, than dating. Hmm. 
You know, it's funny that you mentioned mental health because I just saw on Twitter today a pastor saying you probably don't need mm-hmm. therapy or medication. You probably just need to repent of sin. And it's like this right. this idea is going strong today still. And it's crazy. I mean, how many people is it hurting in the process? It's right. It's mind blowing to me that that we would make it so such a simple thing when it's really not. I mean, mental health is like one of the most complicated things you could possibly talk about. Right. And we barely know anything about how our brains work. So right. I'm, well, not, I'm not just learning. Like PTSD was a diagnosis that came about in the eighties. That wasn't even, it didn't even exist before that. That's PTSD, like war. Like, so uh, um, now there's a huge conversation with, you know, abuse in the church and, uh, Diane Langberg is a psychologist, um, who has now become, people are now listening to her and she's correlating how a lot of the same symptoms correlate with people who experience abuse in the church and PTSD. Hmm. Um, and I can tell, I can assure, I know that that's true. Like that's a lot of what I witnessed. Hmm. I experienced certain things. Um, and Pastor Gabe, who said that, who I've trolled <laughs> about the, uh, you know, prescriptions and stuff, he he needs to become the minority voice. Like he needs mm-hmm. to become the group where it's very clear, like, oh, you're just, you know, you just haven't learned better, but that's fine. We don't need to even acknowledge yeah, or listen. Right. You know, that's mm-hmm. what I right. feel like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When I think too, so often pastors are probably the the last person you need to go to um, if and when you are dealing with emotional or physical trauma or depression or anxiety or suicidal mm-hmm. ideation, because mm-hmm. so many of them, frankly, lack the tools and the training and the technologies to even understand what is happening. And, and they, they drift back to sort of the binary. Well, um, if you're a good person and a righteous person, this wouldn't be happening. So you must be sinning. It's like, no, no, no. We covered this in Job, right? Yeah, like, I was going to say. We've moved beyond this. Right. And, and you haven't. So you no longer earn a right to talk at the table. Like You can uh-huh. have your thoughts over there, but we're not going to listen. And, and I right. think we have to embolden ourselves to just say, no, these voices aren't safe. And I refuse to listen to them anymore. Yeah, I think that that's huge. And I think we are making progress, but I do see places that we're almost backtracking. It seems um, with like the level of like the level of Gabes that are kind of re-rising up together and going against this, all these wonderful new notions of, of science and faith are good together. And, you know, uh, different things that have been explored and validated through everyone's experience, um, especially recently. I think have it's you, so, go ahead. I'm sorry. Have you noticed, and, and, I, and this is going to be an incredibly simplistic assumption, but have you noticed that there is a type to the these, quote, Gabes that are out there? I mean, I, I at least on Twitter see that I could almost tell you someone's theological background based on their personification. There's, there's sort of this neo-reformed, neo-Calvinistic white male (laughs) pastor voice that is, as you just said, like finding a resurgence on Twitter and man, they are vocal. They are uh, mostly pretty mean and so binary in their thinking. Is that, uh, too simplistic of an assumption based on some of the conversations. No, I think that that's fair. I think that I think it's even beyond that, and we found that in the evangelical church because how has all this stuff been hidden that people knew about? So you're like, oh, okay, it's definitely that um, that person, mm. but I think it's more than just that person. I think it's. Um, a lot of leaders in the church and those voices are the ones that, that are more so dangerous in my opinion, because they're charismatic and they're the way they speak. They are very wise in manipulating people through words. Uh, they know how to do that. And 
Diane actually says this in her, in her most recent book. And she, she says that we have been in the industry of hiring pastors because of their charisma and their way to draw an audience and the inflection in their voice. They know how to use oh, all yeah. of that. Right. There's but definitely the pastor persona for sure. Yes. Right. And she is trying to make the point that, that theologians, real theologians have never supported these people, but mm. the general church population of churchgoer has, because because mm. we were, you know, in the evangelical church, we were especially attracted to that. And that's what was promoted and all around us and grew and grew to like the conference culture where it's the same five people speaking at different conferences and you're paying $300 and you're like, okay. Like, uh, and so now it's fascinating though. Cause Cause I'm like, is the evangelical church going to catch on that? There is a problem that has, that it needs to come out from the root or is there just like a new denomination that's going to form? Like what's going to happen? Because mm, yeah. there's not many options that I see at this point. Mm. One of the things that I have loved about watching you over the years, cause I have followed your account. I don't know for a while now um, is that, you went from just humor and, and kind of the Christian dating and singleness humor relationships to talking about your deconstruction and talking about these deeper issues of like mental health and theology and all that. But you've also gotten really bold, like you said, and started calling out some of these prominent faith leaders um, and mm -hmm. even at times trolling them because... Why not? <laughs> um, so what What were you, like, what caused that shift? What were you going through to make you say, you know what, I am ready to just, like, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. I'm ready to use my voice to counteract those voices. I think because of what I had experienced and then I was in the middle, um, kind of observing all around me what was going on with the Christian celeb culture. And I've never considered myself at all to be... Um, like a Christian influencer, but I, I would, st I started to get invites to things. I started to get offers to speak at things. And I saw this trend of how everything was connected to finance, not everything. A lot of things were connected to a way of financial <sighs> manipulation and gain. And, mm -hmm. and I thought that was really weird especially having been someone who grew up in the era of Benny Hinn with my mom who gave so much <laughs> money to the TV. <laughs> you right. know, uh, I, I was like, this doesn't feel authentic. And, um, with the, with president Trump, I saw this like undying allegiance from, from these leaders that I, I had respected and I saw that they were, they, they would post very strategically. Like I, I know how this works and they would post in a way that made, made you feel like you can't ask questions. You just have a blind support. And that hmm. was a huge red flag. Cause I was, my father always told me like, you always ask questions. You, you never stop. That's like, hmm. why would we tell a child? There's no wrong question. Ask questions. And then as an adult, it's like, don't ask, just follow. Right. You know, everything that I know about psychology, about conforming, about, um, you, you, you absolutely ask questions. So that to me was a red flag. And then I saw it so heavily and, and I, and, and I was like, why do not, why do you, these people not acknowledge that President Trump has said and done things that are very um, harmful to women, to people of color. Like you cannot just blindly support someone like, okay, if you follow his economics, whatever, but why not acknowledge that as a leader of a, a multi-thousand, you know, like a huge church and, um, so I just got to the point where I couldn't take it anymore. And I was like, I need to say something because I could just tell people were afraid to say something against Trump in that world. They didn't want to, you know, it was just not, it didn't feel very common. So I followed the people who had before me and who were doing it. And I wrote a blog post and the level of uh, verbal attack 
that oh. I got in the comments and in DMs and and attempts of manipulation to silence me was crazy, but I I expected it, so it didn't like like I lost I think three thousand followers, but I was kind of happy because why would I want want them to follow me anyways? You know what were and, what were some of the things like to yeah, manipulate um, you? What did they say? There's one mega church pastor who commented and said that he hopes that I use the Holy that I use the Holy Spirit to pray for Donald Trump instead of use my words to hurt him. And all I had done, I had a, I did, I wrote a post that was very, um, almost like a journalist. Like it was very, this is this, these are the things that I have seen. This is reported here, here, this is on recording here. This is what he said here. This is what he tweeted here. And this is what I believe Jesus taught me and Mm. what, who Jesus was. And this is what I believe Jesus stood for. So this is what I believe is what's going to unfold. I didn't, I, I didn't even say what I was really thinking. I do now, you know what I've said a lot more now, but, um, and so to that pastor, I commented and said, well, thank God that I already have the Holy spirit. (laughs) And so I, I, and there were a lot of people in positions of power who they would make comments like that or DMS or whatever to, to like try to make me be afraid. Uh, I don't know, silence me. And the more yeah. that I saw that, the more just urged me to speak out more because mm. if they're doing that to me as someone who like has a little bit of a platform, who else, who are they doing that to that is more vulnerable? <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I, I've experienced yeah. that as well. Um, when I first kind of started deconstructing my faith, one of the things that I struggled with was the notion of violence. And so mm-hmm. I started blogging about nonviolence and mm-hmm. wow, it does feel like Jesus was pretty nonviolent. <laughs> and um, I, I can't tell you the amount of of hatred that I received from former friends, from former colleagues. I had two people um, where I used to work at a Christian nonprofit in Colorado Springs, a big one that mm-hmm. everyone would know, who went after me um, in a in in a belligerent way, and basically said um, they wish that that my wife would be uh, sexually violated, that my kids would be attacked, <gasps> oh uh, because gosh. then I would know, you know, that violence is the only way that you can't. Uh, not return evil for evil. And and these are people that I worked with at a mega Christian evangelical denomination or uh, institution. And, wow. you know, I, I, when I began to see that, and, and I'm sure you've even experienced it, you know, ad nauseum worse, that there's a level of fear and anxiety yes. and anger of like anyone who does not conform gets yes. the gets the wrath <laughs> and you know it was just like wow this is not a safe place to be these are not safe people on any mm-hmm. level now where do i go because this mm-hmm. is the only world i've ever known mm-hmm. that yeah. did, you, did you experience that as well yeah it's super relatable i think a lot of people are on that middle ground of like i'm not ex i wouldn't consider myself ex evangelical but i certainly do not correlate myself to evangelicals uh, right now. So where do I fall? And there's mm. a huge, there's just going to be more people. So I think having conversations like these um, are vital. So people can, can talk together and, and be open together. Um, I, I, the, when you touch on something, I, ju- I recently had a psych test and, and it was on conformity and there's all these tests that have been done that prove that one voice of dissent, just one voice in a group, uh, it completely infiltrates the conformity. So like everyone will say, Oh, like this, this is red. And if one person is like, no, actually that looks green. Everyone, it will have a positive effect on the group and on the person. Whereas ostracizing, which is like leaving people out, it's, it's one of the most damaging things that can be done to someone's um, like 
self. Like mm-hmm. the, the brain responds, does it know the difference between physical pain and emotional pain, basically? So um, I think that if you are doing something right, you will get crap for it. <laughs> but knowing you are that voice of dissent is a very empowering place to be because you will get people that'll be like, thank you so much. I was thinking this. I just didn't feel like I could say it. I can't say it in my church. I will be left out. I'll be asked to leave, whatever. Um, but once the voices of dissent become more than the original voice, like that's how you know, oh, people are catching on and change will come. Mm-hmm. And in in history, that's how it's happened. And so with the church right now, there's so much rampant abuse and scandals that have come out. And I try to write humorously about things, but it is it is becoming harder because you're like, this is just not funny at all. Mm. But how mm. can I word this so people people will like open up and talk about it? And yeah. we're at a place where it's like you can't not anymore. But even right. there are leaders who are still not, especially like with the Robbie scandal, for instance, mm. people are just not saying anything and then continuing on. And I'm like, excuse me, you were at his funeral. You posted all this stuff like you need to say something. Hmm. Yep. Or hmm. or they're they're continuing to sort of softly backpedal and softly defend. I mean, I saw a post this weekend from a um, predominant evangelical voice that basically just called everything Robbie did a sin. And uh-huh. it seemed to assume that everything that happened was consensual. And so we just have to guard our heart. And oh my gosh. And I this will, was someone. Was that? <laughs> well, yeah. Go uh, <laughs> yeah. And it was someone I used to work for that I have deep respect for. And I couldn't yeah. help. I had to say something and I had to get on Good. and say, um, I know this is probably not what you want to hear, but I have to say something because you've just silenced an entire generation yeah. of women. Um, so I, I want to kind of change you the for subject. Doing that. Thank yeah, you for doing well, well, but you know, I think the hard part is we see it. You know, women really see when a man goes against that grain because mm. there were way too many posts like like. Uh, there are way too many posts that were like, it could have been any of us. I'm like, what? Right. Go- like, like, no, not not all of us are abusers. Actually, you'd be in jail. So Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. So um what I love about what you're doing is you're you're starting a different conversation or at least changing the conversation around kind of satire and humor, which is a, an incredible gift because I think so many of us um you know, we see something like that and we just want to lash out and attack. Mm-hmm. Is that, has that been something that you've been able to kind of, um, fine tune over the years? Like, Ooh, I found my voice and I found a way to confront lies with truth, but just using humor. I mean, that's, that's a pretty rare gift. Oh, thank you. It's, I struggle a lot with imposter syndrome, not going to lie. Uh, <laughs> because I, I, I never took comedy classes. I never, I did one master class with Steve Martin, which was the best thing I've ever done. It was like $50, <laughs> but I've never, I've just been an observer and, um, a reader. And I look back at like my first joke and I'm like, Oh my God, that's so embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you always do that. You know, um, I, I found, so I work at, um, well, because of COVID, I had to stop, but I worked at a residential treatment facility for women who were diagnosed with um, PTSD alongside another disorder. And it's crazy because I worked with all Yale, Harvard grads, and eventually I got asked to lead a comedy class for the women. And they found that the women were had this exceptional gift at writing and being funny, and they would write about their very traumatic experiences that led them, you know, to be in treatment, or even they would write about treatment. And it was so funny. Like, it was about, you know, the mental hospital or things that are not funny. And I think (laughs) that when, when you go through tragedy, or you go through trauma, there is something in being able to talk about it that presents a different emotion, Mm. obviously can be used as a defense mechanism when it's not healthy. But even then it's like, at least you're, you're trying. And, um, to be able to talk about terrible things, 
while also laughing instead of always crying, I think can allow the real conversation to break forth. So that's my goal. And that's my hope always is I'm not the just writing the joke. Like I wrote this recently and I just wanted to open up the combo. And I said, no offense, but white Christians really be rolling through with a golden Trump statue to tell people how the gay agenda will ruin the faith. <laughs> and it and it was about last week, you know, there was that video of of people at that uh com- the yeah, CPAC. CPAC. Yeah, yeah, CPAC with the golden Trump statue. And then literally and just, a golden image that they literally a golden being. image. But I mean, it, oh my god. <laughs> yeah. And it was like I can, it's so crazy because you're watching it live and you're like, this has to be obvious to everybody, but it's not. It never is. And so I wrote that knowing it's not, it's funny, but it's not funny because it's true with like, you know, what they were, uh, for, uh, the Equality Act was a huge thing that they discussed there. Mm. Right. And um, my goal is that people will talk about the unspoken in that sentence, you know, yeah. <laughs> and that becomes the source of combo. Well, and one thing that I think, and I hope this encourages you, is, like you said, it takes the one voice um, of dissent to make a change and to, like, kind of get the dominoes falling. You know, one domino falls, many start falling. And I think that there are a lot of people who are afraid to speak up or or at least publicly they might be having the conversations with friends and family but they're never going to post about it online and i think that there are a lot of people who may never say anything to you who may never dm you or comment or anything who are seeing it and who are getting it or who are like oh i hadn't thought of it that way and you may never hear about it but i think i think that happens mm-hmm. a lot cuz i for a long time, tended to kind of be a lurker. I would just like read all the comments on something (laughs) and and I would, I might, oh yeah, I would read like all the comments on things, but I'd never comment myself because I'm like, who's, who's that dumb to put that out there (laughs) and open themselves up like that that with other people. Yeah. Yeah. But (laughs) you know, I think there's a lot of us who are like that. And, and uh, like, that's, Eventually now I feel like I'm at the point of like, I'm tired of being quiet and a lurker and I'm ready to speak out. And so I think you're making a bigger difference than you'll ever know, really. Thank you. That means a lot, especially this week. I appreciate that. Thank you. (laughs) Well, thank you for what you're doing. I haven't been on Instagram for a week. Today I was going to come go back. I'm actually getting the second dose of the vaccine today. So oh, oh, nice. tomorrow's congrats. a great day to go back to Instagram. Yeah. Um, it, well, it is so easy to forget that because you just look at the comments. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. And it's the ones who are angry who tend to be the ones who speak yeah. up. So yeah. Yeah. Um, to me, sure. it sounds like you are still a Christian. You just don't know quite where you fall. So I'm curious, why have you stuck it out to this point? Because a lot of people don't make it this far. Yeah. I think because I went through the hardest time of my life processing things when my mom died, um, that I, at that time, I had already thought God was awful. How could he allow, how could a good God allow this? What, what, um, you know, that was coming off the toes of, one another Christian relationship that was unhealthy and then off the wife relationship. And so I was just like, okay, everything, God sucks. This sucks. Like I'm left behind. I had a huge thing about being left behind and I'm like, oh, it's because we all read the left behind books. That's probably where that comes from. Like, you know, I just like, uh, and that period of my time was so dark that I had to know what I Believe to move forward. So I wrestled a lot and I found a deep faith in G in who Jesus was. Mm-hmm. And I always just come back to regardless of what the church or what people say and do. When I look at Jesus, he was such an advocate. He was the person who, who went and, um, liberated people who were oppressed and ostracized. Like it is very different to me than what we may see coming from the building. And 
that experience for me allowed me to know that God, like in my opinion, I believe God loves when we ask questions. Um, and so that I, because of that now, none of this stuff threatens me, you know, Mm. it's like, I'm sure it can. And it, and there are times I am in, I'm very triggered and I want to lash out and I do. And then I delete it, but (laughs) (laughs) you do that too. have, Have that root. Um, yeah. So I go back to that. A lot of us who are going through the deconstruction process, I think sometimes we get stuck in the darkness. We get stuck in the just derailing faith and tearing everything down. But from what you just said um, about kind of leaving church, but finding Jesus, if you will, to kind of steal our own tagline, um, you seem (laughs) to have found some type of hope. In Christianity. So from your vantage point, when you look at the future of faith, uh, besides Jesus, Jesus, obviously, but w- what is giving you hope these days? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the unknown, actually. So I think that I always, I struggle with like anxiety and OCD type thoughts. So I can get very stuck on like wanting to control something to feel safe and and when but like when my mom died and all that stuff happened I had no control like I couldn't there was nothing that could control the the outcome of that Mm. um but since then I can say that I have experienced the most beautiful moments in life the most random coincidences um but I have very deep relationships with people who are not Christian. Like, um, I always have, I have friends from college, my own family isn't. Um, and, and I have found like how beautiful humans are, humans can be and humans are. And when I look at each person as, they are how, whatever we believe, whoever God you believe in or whatever you believe in, we're all the same under that. Like we're constructed the same. We're made of the same molecules. Like I, I find so much hope because I can see the beauty in, in how much people try. And I tend to surround myself with really good people, um, mm. safe people, people who will call my own stuff out but uh you know good people and and so when I see that I see like like um COVID hit Iran way worse even than it hit the U.S. and we have family extended family there and people died and it was it's just really hard because like nobody knows it's like out of sight out of mind right um but I have read all these studies and I've heard the whitest American say that uh, the largest underground church is right now is in Iran and it's led by women. And when I read Hmm. up on it, they are feeding the poor. They're helping so many people in this tragic time and they are um, changing uh, the circumstances. And I think that to me just shows the church will never be a building. It will never be a construct. It has to go back to just a human being has a choice in life and you can um, advocate and help the vulnerable or you can condemn. And, mm. and I just notice and try to be aware of how many people are doing, you know, the right thing. Hmm. That's beautiful. It's yeah. really beautiful. All right. That was the last question we told you we were going to be asking you, but we actually <laughs> want to ask you some fun ones, if that's okay. Okay. All right. Okay. So just, uh, we'll ask the question and don't think about it too much. Just answer with what pops okay. in your mind first. All, All right. right. So the first question is, what's the weirdest DM or comment you've gotten since starting <laughs> the DTR blog? I got a DM. Okay. It was a girl who stole a white fox from like some zoo somewhere (laughs) in another country brought it to the u.s 
had it in a mansion in Beverly Hills. And this group of people asked if I could help host to bring awareness to get the Fox free. And I was like, I, I just, this is, I, I'm going to hand this off to another organization. <laughs> I just was like, I can't care about everything. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. That, that's, I, I don't even think I have another question because that <laughs> is, is so random. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, okay, so what's one thing you're looking forward to do once things return to kind of semi-normal post-pandemic? I can't wait to um, get back to work in person. So um, I am thinking and trying to plan a move to Nashville. I'm currently in Los Angeles, and that got put on hold. Um, but now that I'm getting vaccinated and my family is, I feel like that is something that is in my future. So I'm excited to do that and start work over there. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Uh, what is one show or movie mm -hmm. you could watch over and over again and never get tired of? Oh, uh, oh no. <laughs> I am a real housewives. Oh, interesting. Uh, franchise. Yeah. I, I watch New York and I watch, uh, Los Angeles. So I love watching them. No Atlanta. You're, you're hating on Atlanta. I, I try to limit how much of it I watch. So like, <laughs> Oh, and Southern charm. I, Oh, it's so bad. I, I do love watching them. I do like reality TV sometimes. It just, you, it requires no mind power. And then I'm like, well, my life is more normal than theirs. So I feel bad about <laughs> myself, basically. Hey, I'm a Bachelor fan, so I cannot judge. <laughs> yeah. All right. So despite all of that, uh, what's something else that your followers might be surprised to know about you that they don't know? Um, well, I was thinking of posting like, like a Persian party. And just showing, like, they have no idea, you know? So, <laughs> uh, uh, like, the food, the people dancing, like, women yelling, um, the tequila shots. This is a shots. party? Yeah, it's like a standard party. It would be like a standard Saturday for, like, the prison <laughs> community thing. So, my because I moved in with my family during COVID, I've gotten to really go back to my roots. So, um, yeah, I think that part of my life, they probably would be surprised. And then I, I do work. I always say treatment recovery. No one really knows. Like the women that I work with, a lot of them are, um, trans. A lot of them are, uh, just come in and are so traumatized and I work very closely with them and it has taught me so much. It is hmm. so, so much like, um, one trans woman, she wrote a poem when she left treatment and her, she completely changed. Like it was so beautiful to watch. And she said, I will always love the church, even when the church doesn't love me. And I mm, literally wow. was like bawling mm, <laughs> and that wow. everyone was like, that was beautiful. And I was like, no, you don't understand. She's, <laughs> she's right. Like, um, so yeah, the ins and outs of my life. I think are actually very different than what people perceive, but, um, yeah. You're not fun. like living in an influencer house and making videos <laughs> all day long. And yeah. No, you guys, I'm poor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Last question. Yeah. And this is the one I've been waiting to ask you. Cause I really want right. to know out of all the evangelical leaders you've called out or trolled on Twitter, <laughs> who was your favorite and why? Uh, Dave Ramsey. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> I think because I called him out a long time ago and people were like, you can't call Dave Ramsey out. He's too loved. And I was like, Dave Ramsey, I am. Uh, mm -mm. No. Like, right. I'm not sure. Anymore. No, not. It. Well, I know you would think. Thanks to you. But, <laughs> but, but the uh, <laughs> him trying to sell his $15 million house. And not allowing photos of the inside to be posted on Zillow was the funniest 
it's was like handing all of us content, all of us <laughs> funny people content. I'm like, come on, Dave. So then there, you know, people were like, oh, it requires an NDA to go inside. And I'm like, this just covers all the things. So <laughs> that was funny because he he had blocked me. And I was like, well, we'll just show that you blocked me alongside all of this. So I think that was just a fun one. <laughs> It was yeah, a little he blocked. Vindicating. He blocked me a few years ago. So did I, he? So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I got a ton of messages. He blocks a lot of people. Yeah. Hmm. He and he and Eric Metaxas are my two oh, favorite yeah. blocks. Like, oh, good. Thank you for eliminating me from your world. I know I it's kind of nice. You don't. Do <laughs> I know. Well, this is this <laughs> has really been a lot of a lot of fun and also enlightening. I think not just about deconstruction, but just all the conversations that so many of us are having and how to respond to them with grace, with a little bit of humor, with a little bit of satire. Mm -hmm. So for anyone who wants to know more about you, um, where can they find you and all your online escapades? Uh, Thank you. This was so, it's, I feel like I could just be very honest and free with talking with you both. So I, I appreciate that. Um, you can find me on at the DTR blog on Instagram, Twitter, I think, oh yeah, TikTok. I'm doing, I will be announcing some new fun things as I work towards publishing a book that maybe will one day come out. So uh, Instagram and Twitter will are my most known right now. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, well, I'll be looking forward to that <laughs> if it ever comes out. If it and, ever comes out. <laughs> and we will... You. Definitely check her out because she's she's worth following and she adds that humor to your day because sometimes the days can be so serious and so mm-hmm. bleh, it's worth following her. So I will make sure to link to all your stuff in our show notes as well so that anybody can find you there too. Awesome. Oh, yeah. I do have an actual blog. <laughs> oh, true. Yeah. That <laughs> <laughs> is where I started. <laughs> What's the address for that? TheDTRblog.com. Yeah. All right. I'll link to that as well. So thank you so much, Christina. We really appreciate your time and your insights and your wisdom. And it was all very fun. Thank you. Yes. Thanks, Christina. Thank you, guys. You guys, do yourselves a favor and follow her on Twitter and Instagram right now. She, I've been following her for years, and she just has such a great balance between humor and seriousness. And I really love the gracious voice she adds to the struggles and questions that so many of us have. You can find show notes and the links to her profiles at holyheretics.org. And in next week's episode, we're switching gears a bit and talking to Father Brendan, who is a priest and a monk with a twist. And we're talking to him about faith, the Bible, biblical literalism, and more. So it will definitely get you thinking. You don't want to miss it. Make sure to subscribe. Don't forget that you can support our work by going to patreon.com slash holyheretics. We are in the process right now of developing content exclusively for Patreon supporters, so you don't want to miss that either. Have a great week. This episode was produced by the Sophia Society. Music is by Faith and Foxholes, and sound engineering is by Joshua Mudge.